1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is our sermon text this morning, so please give your attention as God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word is read in your hearing this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, as you know, I mentioned at the outset of our service, of course, we are in the season of Advent. And Advent is a commemoration it is a celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world. It is, a, it is a remembrance of his first coming, his coming in the fullness of time, as Paul will say in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that is Advent, as we lead into the Christmas holiday. But note here, as we look at this passage this morning, just um, before we even get into it, Notice how John starts. He says, that which was from the beginning. So even though we celebrate a season of Advent, even though we think of Advent as the time of you know, the approaching and uh, birth of Jesus Christ, the announcement of it to uh, the various individuals, the shepherds and so forth, and, and that birth of Jesus uh, in the manger in the town of Bethlehem as we just sung, Advent really begins long before that, right? You could say, well, yeah, of course it does, because the Old Testament prophets attested to it, right? Uh, so many prophets, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, about how you know, the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and you know, Isaiah chapter 9, about how a child will come unto us, and all these things. Well, yes, all of those things also point to Advent, but Advent comes even before that. Advent comes, as we see here from John's pen, that which was from the beginning. Advent was something that was already in the mind of God, if you will, from the beginning. It was always part of God's plan that His Son would come into the world to redeem those whom the Father has chosen. So when we think of Advent, yes, let us think of that time in the manger. Let us think of the, the, the days of the birth of Christ approaching, but also let us remember that Advent comes from the beginning, from the beginning. Now, uh, you know, because of the nature of this series, we are taking passages and looking at them. And I don't want to divorce First uh, John from its entire context. John writes this letter near the end of the first century. It's written most likely after his gospel. is probably written before the book of Revelation. But John writes this letter to uh, struggling believers at the end of the first century. And in their church, their church supposedly is, you could kind of get hints of this, there's uh, some breaking of fellowship in this church. 
And we're going to look at some of these things uh, as we go through the message this morning. But there's, there's struggling believers who are, uh, a number of these believers have left this church. They have broken fellowship. And as we see, just if you just look at verse 4, John here gives us a reason why he writes this letter. He says, we write these things to you that your joy may be full. We declare these things to you, verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us. At the end of his letter, he again gives us a purpose statement in chapter 5, verse 13, where he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's kind of like how John writes his gospel. He, at the end, says, These things have been written so you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that you may believe and have life in his name. So John writes these things for struggling believers in order to point out to them the fellowship that they have with one another, that the fellowship that they have with the Father and with the Son, and that their joy may be full. And that's really, in a sense, what this particular theme of Advent is, as we look at the themes of hope, peace, and now we're looking at joy. And Advent is, again, the coming of Jesus into the world, the word of life coming into this world to fulfill our joy. That is our theme this morning, that Jesus Christ, his Advent, his coming into the world is, in a sense, to fulfill our joy. And we're going to look at this in... Uh, four parts this morning. Uh, four verses, four parts. It's just kind of how it works out. Um, I don't, I don't do these things. I don't try always to come with three parts. You know, sometimes it's four, sometimes it's two. Here it's today, it's four. But here we're going to see first the word of life again from the beginning. That's the first point in verse one, where there again John writes that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That which was from the beginning concerning the word of life. Now, if you remember when we started our series through the Gospel of John some years ago, uh, back in August or September of 2020, John begins his gospel with a prologue. All the other gospels, they start with the life of Jesus. They start with a birth narrative. They start with the announcement of the angels to Mary, to Elizabeth, to Joseph, to the shepherds, the birth narrative, all these things. John, as he does here in this letter, when he starts his gospel, he starts again from eternity past. How does John's gospel begin? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So John is very much interested in showing us that this Jesus whom we worship is one who was from the beginning. He takes an eternal look at Christ. As he spoke about the eternal Word who became incarnate, right? This Word who was in the beginning, who was with God and was God, came in flesh, right? He, he became flesh. This Word who was in eternity past, He dwelt among us. So this eternal Word became the incarnate Word. And here, we see the same thing here. As, Jesus, or as John is telling us about Jesus, he says, that which was from the beginning. And then notice how he describes this. He says, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have handled. 
John here is very concerned to tell you this eternal word, this eternal Jesus Christ, this eternal uh, uh, second person of the Trinity, he is something that we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. He's very intentional to make sure that his readers know that Jesus came as a person. He came into this world as a human being. You're like, well, why is he making such a big point of this? Well, just flip over to chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3 of 1 John. I'm going to start in verse 1. Where there he says, Look, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John here is telling his readers, Look, you, gotta, you can't just believe everything you hear just because it's said from somebody who has a degree or who's behind a nice pulpit here. And I would say the same thing to you. Test what I say according to the spirits here. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits. See whether they are from God. Why? Because there are many false prophets, many false teachers. What was true then is true today. Test the spirits. Why? Because there are many false teachers out there who will tell you what you want to hear, who will tell you what will build them a following. And then he says, verse 2, Well, how am I going to know who the false prophets are? Well, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Why is John so concerned to tell you that this which was from the beginning, we have seen, we have heard, we have handled with our hands, we have looked upon, because there are people out there who will tell you that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Now, John is fighting what some scholars believe is an early form of Gnosticism. That's with a G-N, G. So, you know, if you look at it, it says Gnosticism. So, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. Or another error, which was called Docetism. You're like, what? don't worry, there's no quiz at the end of the sermon where you're going to have to tell me what these words mean. Basically, all they're saying is that we don't believe Jesus came as a person. Because in order to mix what is divine with what is human and fleshly, that is anathema to us. So they say he looked like a person. He uh, appeared to be human. But John is saying here, look, no. He came in the flesh. How do we know? I've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We touched him. Right? You read through the Gospels. Jesus acted and said and did very human things. He was God in human flesh. Now here for our purposes, we want to focus on this eternal one who became incarnate. So as we celebrate Advent, what we're celebrating in a sense is the, the fact that the very transcendent God of the universe came into this world as a person. He took on to himself human nature. He became man. He became flesh, as John says in his gospel, and dwelt among us. That little baby that we just sang about, away in a manger, that little baby in the manger, which looked like a, just like any other normal baby, was God incarnate. 
that which was from the beginning, that which we have seen, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and handled, heard with our ears concerning this word of life. He is the eternal one who became incarnate. He is the one who was from the beginning. He is the one whose birth we celebrate and whose coming again in glory we anticipate. As we sung last week, uh, we sung Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? And there's that great line in that song which says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Great name for a church. Which just means God with us. That's exactly what this is. When Jesus came into this world, when Advent happened, when Jesus was born, we had the veiled Godhead in flesh. We saw the incarnate deity. We saw the one who is pleased to dwell with man as a man. He is our Emmanuel. Advent did not begin 2,000 years ago. Advent began, it didn't even begin 6,000 years ago when, when God promised to Adam uh, the coming of the seed of the woman. He began from the beginning. That which we have seen from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. The word of life. Now look at verse 2 as we see the word of life manifested. Manifested. Now we've already mentioned it here in verse 2 as we see here, the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And he, so he, he says that word manifest, and we saw this in Sunday school this morning in Ephesians. Manifest just means to make known, to reveal, to, to shine forth, to, to unveil, if you will. And again, John here in these opening verses is in, uh, emphasizing the incarnation of Jesus. This one who was from the beginning has now been manifested. He's made himself known in the flesh. And again, notice this, the, 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 the tactile nature, if you will, of this. We have, he says it again. We have seen. We declare to you. We bear witness. He's going to say it again in verse 3. So he says, we have seen three times. We have heard. He says that twice. We felt with our hands. Very tactile. Again, very much trying to get us to know that this Jesus was real. You could touch him. You could see him. You could feel him. Jesus was a person who could be seen and heard and felt. And again, note in, verse, in all of these verses, really, uh, John is speaking in the first person plural. We, right? That which was from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon. He was manifested. We have seen and bear witness. We declare to you. Who is he talking about? Well, John is probably not only talking about himself, but of all the apostles, right? The disciples that Jesus himself called so even though at this point in time, more than likely, John is the last of the apostles, he is the last of the 12 disciples, uh, he was known to have lived the longest, all the others have been martyred by this time, more than likely, he includes himself here among the apostolic witnesses. He's saying, look, we have declared these things to you, not just me, John, Peter has, Matthew has, Paul has, Matthias has, whoever the other guys are, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, all of these guys. We have all declared these things to you. Why? Because we have seen him. We have heard him. We have touched him. 
This is the apostolic witness. We confess it in the Nicene Creed, right? One holy Catholic and apostolic church. We also declare in the Nicene Creed that Jesus Christ, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. What we confess in the creeds, that is the apostolic witness. So John says here, we have declared these things to you. The word of life was manifested. The word of life was made known. The word of life became visible. When we see the word of life here, this is again a reference to John's gospel, but John says that this word who was from the beginning also had life in himself. If you remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he says to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. If you remember what he says to the disciples in the upper room, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is inherent in Jesus Christ. He is the word of life. He is the one who gives life to us. He was the eternal life, as he says here, who is manifested. The one who was with the Father, he became known. He became uh, manifested to us with a real human nature, right? That's, again, what John's point is here. With a real human nature here to give life to all who believe and receive his name. If you will, please indulge me. Turn to First Timothy. That's a few books to the left. First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Every now and then in the, in the New Testament, you see these passages which are sort of offset from the normal text, which indicates that this is either a quotation, or maybe it's a song, or a psalm, or some prophecy that's being made. Here you have, in chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Great is the mystery of godliness, the hidden truth. And what he gives here, scholars believe, is sort of like an early confession of faith. Something that, that the Christians in his day would have confessed. Sort of like we confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And what does he say here? Well, the first line, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And there, in a sense, you get a little, in a snapshot, in a few lines, the, the entire life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh. This incarnate deity, this, this, this one who was from the beginning, was manifested to us. How? In the flesh. He took on a human nature. And so on and so forth. John is making this point here. He was manifested. We have seen it. We have heard it. We have felt him. As we've been saying all along, there is no salvation without Advent. You, you, there, there's no point in even having a Christian faith unless Jesus Christ comes. Right? You, in order to have a faith, in order to be saved, in order to, to have all this mean anything, Jesus Christ had to come. 
He had to come and do what he did, or else there's no point in believing. There's no point in any of this if Jesus Christ was not here in the flesh. The word of life who was from the beginning was made manifest for our salvation so that we could share an eternal life. So that which was from the beginning, which was made manifest, John now goes on to say, we have declared him to you in verse 3. It's kind of hinted at in verse 2 as well. We bear witness and declare, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in other words, it's not enough to have an incarnation. It's not enough to have an advent, if that advent is not then also declared, right? That word there, to declare, means to proclaim, to make openly known. Right, So as manifest means made visibly known, then what we have seen manifest, we then declare, we make verbally known to you. It is the good news that we seek to preach and proclaim each Lord's Day. And the good news is this, the messages of the advent of Christ, of the coming of our Emmanuel, to live and die for his people. That is the good news. That is the gospel message, this this advent, the fact that Christ came. He was manifest. He is the word of life, the eternal life that is made manifest to us. It is news that is to be shouted. It is news that is to be declared. It is news that is to be proclaimed and made openly known. Notice in the other gospels, we're not going to look at these verses, but notice that this advent that was coming, what what happened in the events leading up to it? Well, you had many angels that were dispatched, right? Angels that go over here and over here, and they announce this, right? You have the angel in Luke 1 going to Zacharias to announce that his wife is going to bear... Uh, give birth to the, the forerunner, his, his announcer, his herald, John the Baptist, and he's going to make way, he's going to make straight the way of the Lord. And then later on, that same angel goes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child, Mary, and he's going to have the kingdom upon his shoulders and he will be crowned with glory. And then in Matthew's Gospel, the angel goes to Joseph and says, Joseph, your wife is going to bear a child. Don't divorce your wife. And then the angels go, apparently, and appear to the Magi, because when the Magi come, they said, we have seen his star in the sky. And then, of course, you have the angels appearing to the shepherds to proclaim that this baby that was born in Bethlehem is the one who has come to uh, bring peace on earth to men of goodwill. And he says, go, because before you this day in Bethlehem has been born one who is the Savior. This news is declared by the angels to people, and they then hear this news. The good news of glad tidings that Jesus was born was to be declared. When John the Baptist came on the scene, what did he do? He declared, he proclaimed the coming of the King. And think about it too. When Jesus was, when he died and was resurrected on the third day, what happens when the ladies come to the tomb, right? The angels are there. And what do they tell you? It's like, he's not here. (laughs) We're here to tell you the good news that this one who came into the world, who died three days ago, he's not here anymore. And what does he tell the, the ladies? Go and tell his disciples. 
that he is not here, that he is risen. This good news of Jesus Christ coming into the world is to be declared. And John now declares this news to us. The one who was from the beginning. The one we have seen. The one we have heard. The one we have felt. The one who is the word of life who had been made manifest in the world. We bear witness. We declare to you. This is the good news of the king who defeated sin and death. This is the good news that John declares to his readers. And this is the good news that I, this morning, declare to you. The word of life who was from the beginning has been manifested in human flesh. He has come to save us from our sins. And he has come then to grant everlasting life to all who will believe and receive him by faith. And finally, let's look at verse 4. As we see here, the fulfillment of joy. Really, again, kind of borrowing from first, verse 3. Because John here has, a, in a sense, a twofold purpose in verses 3 and 4. He says, we declare to you, verse 3, that you may... So there's a purpose clause there. What, why do we declare this to you? So that you may have fellowship with us. Why do we write these things to you? So that your joy may be full. So he writes, again here, twofold purpose. The first one is to have fellowship. The other one is to express fullness of joy, that their joy may be fulfilled, that their joy may be overflowing. And here again, John verse 3 says, I declare these things to you, that you may have fellowship. And he says, look, both with us, and also notice that our fellowship, if you have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, therefore you have fellowship with them as well. And again, remember, recall what is happening here uh, in this uh, letter that John is writing. Again, he writes this because there are those who are breaking fellowship with uh, the people that John writes to. It's like, look, I write these things so you can have fellowship with us and that your joy may be full. Uh, if you look, please, over in chapter 2, verse 18 and following, about fellowship here. We looked at it earlier in chapter 4. Those who who declare that Jesus did not come in the flesh. They have the spirit of Antichrist. Well, these are the ones that, that have broken fellowship. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Little children. Now John is talking to his hearers. They are little children. They are believers. It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They, they are the Antichrists, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. John likes that word. That none of us, sorry, that none of them were of us. So what's going on here? It's like they broke fellowship. They left. Why did they leave? Because they did not teach what we proclaim to you. That's what John is saying. They left because they did not believe what we declare to you, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So he's writing to them so that they may have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Broken fellowship here is due to the spirit of Antichrist, which denies that Jesus came in the flesh. 
So John declares that the manifestation of the word of life says readers will enjoy greater fellowship, uh, greater fellowship in the truth, because fellowship is always centered on truth. If you think back in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 2, verse 42, is a favorite verse of a lot of people, but it says that what did they do? What did the believers do in the early church? Well, they gathered together. They had communion. They had fellowship with one another. They heard the apostles' teaching, and they broke bread with one another. This idea of fellowship, this idea of communion, this idea of joining together, being united together with one another by a common confession. What is that confession? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, was manifested, and we declare it to you. And the second purpose, which is in verse 4, he says, then these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Some manuscripts may say our joy may be full. I write these things, we write these things to you that your joy may be full. Now, note here, uh, biblical joy, Christian joy is not something that is centered on our feelings. It is not something that is centered on our circumstances. Paul writes the book of Philippians, which I hope to go through at some point in the near future. Uh, He writes the book of Philippians, and all, I mean, uh, all throughout that book, you, you feel the joy that Paul has. And, you, and then you realize it's like he's expressing all this joy while he's in a Roman prison writing this letter to, to a group of believers who are fighting over things. But Paul's like, look, I rejoice in all circumstances. Whether I'm you know, free or in prison, whether I'm full or, or wanting. Why? Because I know that my joy is not tied to my circumstances. My joy is not tied to how I feel every moment of every day. If, if, you were, if your joy were tied to how you feel, then your joy would be like the stock market going up and down every day. If your joy was tied to your circumstances, your joy would be going up and down every day. But here, joy is based on the good news, the declaration that this word of life, this, this, this Jesus Christ, this one who was from the beginning, has been manifested. That's what brings the fullness of joy. What brings the fullness of joy is knowing that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ because he came. He left the glories of heaven, came down and was manifest, took on human flesh, went to the cross to die for your sins, was resurrected on the third day for your justification, and has now been risen to glory. That is what brings fullness of joy, that Jesus Christ came, manifested in the flesh. The advent of Jesus Christ brings joy, it brings the fullness of joy. That your joy may be full, may be overflowing with him. I think of the words that Jesus says in John, the gospel this time, chapter 15, verse 11, as he's talking to his disciples in the upper room, he says, these things I have spoken to you. What things? That I'm going away but that I'm going back to my Father and that I'm going to send another helper. I'm telling you these things so that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus Christ comes to fulfill our joy. And then we have fellowship, not just, not just with the disciples, not just with the apostles, but we have fellowship both with the Father and with the Son. 
So as we bring this to a close this morning, John's first letter here opens by declaring to us that the eternal word manifested himself as the incarnate word. His goal being to restore the fellowship that was lost in the fall and to make our joy full. Really, if you think about the entire story of redemption, it is to restore us back to, in a sense, paradise. Paradise was lost in the fall at the beginning by Adam and is restored in Jesus Christ and will be consummated in the new heavens and the new earth. It is, it is a story of redemption from beginning to end. Jesus Christ comes in the middle to sort of uh, consummate the plans of God. But they were, again, these plans were from the beginning. Advent goes all the way back to eternity past. This was not a plan B. This is not something God thought up on the, on the spot to say, oh, Adam fell. I've got to come up with a plan now. No, this was from the beginning. And it's to restore the fellowship that we lost in the fall. The point of the creation was that we would be there with God. He would be our God and we would be his people. And that fellowship was broken when Adam sinned and that fellowship is restored and made full because of Christ. And in our days, in John's day, there are people who believe all sorts of wrong things about Jesus. In John's day, it was said you had some that believed that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. In our day, there's all kinds of things that people believe about Jesus. That he wasn't God, that, he, that he's just a moral teacher, that he's just a prophet, all these things. Beloved, there is no fellowship or joy in the Lord unless we believe and declare along with the apostolic witness that Jesus Christ, who was eternal, came in the flesh. This word was manifested to us in the flesh. No other Jesus saves. No other Jesus provides the redemption for our sins than the one who was from the beginning, who was made manifest to us. Advent marks the coming of this word of life into the world to fulfill our joy. He does that from cleansing our sins and being our advocate with the Father. I want to look, please, one more passage, if you will. It's right close to our passage. In verse 7 of chapter 1, there John writes, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Again, this idea of fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is himself the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This word of life became manifest. He came into the world so that we would have fellowship with one another, and that we would have fellowship with, with God the Father, that we would have an advocate with the Father, this Jesus Christ the righteous. As we're about to sing in a moment, we're going to close the service with the song, Joy to the World. And here the idea, of course, is that Jesus comes to fulfill our joy. So joy to the world, world, the Lord has come. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? 
as far as the curse is found. Jesus Christ comes to roll back the curse. Jesus Christ comes as our joy to this world to restore us to fellowship with the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have heard here from the Apostle John, he writes to tell us about this coming of Jesus into the world. And Lord, we, as we celebrate this season of Advent, as we celebrate Jesus Christ coming into the world, help us to understand, Lord, that this was something that was in your mind from before the world began. From the beginning, Jesus came and was manifest. We saw him. He comes to make our joy full. And he comes to restore us to fellowship with you. Oh, Lord, we know that our sin breaks fellowship with you, but we know that the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins. And now we have one who stands as our advocate, one who is our our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. So, Lord, we thank you for this good news, this glad tiding of great joy that we declare to the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name.